your Bibles, but don't open them yet. If you don't have one, there might be one in the pew in front of you, but it's the King James. So serves you right for not bringing your own Bible. You have to read it in the King James. We, I have the English Standard Version. Uh, so how many people know what this is? Mike. Thank you. That was way more information than I had planned on. Thank you for that. Um, I just call it knife. Um, <laughs> but a chef's knife, yeah, as a, as a matter of fact, now that you mentioned it, I think when I bought it, it did say, you know, whatever, eight-inch chef's knife. This is my favorite knife um, for cooking. I love to cook. This is my favorite one to chop with. It fits in my hand. It comes with this really cool case. If you guys are familiar with Pamper Chef, it has its own, like, honing device in this little thing right here. So when you pull it out, it actually kind of gives it a quick sharpening as you pull it out. Love this thing. Um, I bring it to you today as a prop. I don't generally have props because um, I'm not carrot top, but I like to have props sometimes. Um, in the hands of a skilled chef, or me, the opposite of, um, this is a great tool. It's good for chopping and cutting. I mean, there's really few things this thing can't do. By extension, it helps feed my family. You know, when I'm cooking soup, which is one of my favorite things to make, and I'm chopping all this stuff, I mean, it's being utilized to help feed my family. If we were having a potluck, not to keep beating that horse, but <laughs> if we were having a potluck and I was making food for here, it would be utilized in that way. But let's say I take this and I have a loose screw somewhere and I decide I'm going to take the tip of this bad boy and I'm going to try to tighten that thing in there. I would probably damage this. It was not built for that. It was not made to tighten a screw somewhere. Or let's say, God forbid, and we're going to go dark just for just a minute here, I commit a crime with this. I use it to um, take somebody's life or to, to injure somebody while I'm doing something illegal. Would never do that. It's an example. Please don't call the police. My point is this. Of these three, which is the fault of the knife? None. The knife is a tool. The knife cannot decide what it's going to be used for. That's all up to me, whether I'm going to use it to, to cut vegetables and meat as it was intended to, or use it as a tool which it was not designed for, or use it to hurt somebody which is just evil. The knife has no say in it. It's a tool. In the hands of the right person used in the right way, it's a wonderful thing. In the hands of the wrong person who is ignorant or foolish, it's a dangerous thing. One brings life, one brings death. I bring that to you today because we're going to talk about money. And money can be more dangerous than that knife in the hands of the wrong person. And I told you I wasn't going to warn you when we were going to talk about money because I figured nobody would show up for that sermon. Um, but you guys are here. And we're going to talk about what God expects of us when it comes to money because the truth is money is like a tool. Money, uh, a lot of people think that money is evil. Money's not evil. Greed is evil. The love of money is evil. This is the words that Jesus spoke. Loving money, this insatiable desire to acquire and to gain wealth at the expense of everything else is evil. For those who have gained uh, a multitude of wealth at the expense of their family and their children, these people are not wealthy. These people are not rich. For those who have, who have wasted their health and, and, and all that God has blessed them with just to acquire paper, just to acquire something that's a tool, to not even use it for anything, just to have it, is, is somebody who has wasted their life. 
Now, there's two ways to go about this, and this is where the church usually finds itself in error. And I've used this pew kind of as a gauge time and time again. I'm going to do it again today. We go one way. We make money evil. We, we say that nobody should be rich. Nobody should have money. We should give everything away. We should just be poor, and, and, and money is evil. And then on the opposite end, the, the next camp or the other camp goes over here. No, no, no. All, all people should be rich or all Christians should be rich. God wants you to be rich. If you don't have money, you don't have faith. If you don't have money, God hasn't blessed you. And so money is this, this gauge of how much God loves you. And both of these are an error. Both of these are extreme, and, and we do this in Christianity for some reason. We always go one way or the other to the extreme, and we miss God in the middle of it. I think that there are people who are poor, and they love Jesus. And I think there are people who are rich, and they love Jesus. I think there are people who are poor, and they're greedy. I think there are people who are poor, and they don't care about Jesus. And I think there are people who are rich, who are greedy, and do not care about the Lord as well. Again, it's not about the money. It's not about the tool. It's about the person who holds it. So this morning, turn to, oh, where's that scripture? I believe it's in Luke chapter 21. I could be wrong. Jesus is at the temple. I'm gonna give you some context. Actually, it might be Luke chapter 12. Let me get there. Well, somebody will find it for me. I wrote down the wrong scripture reference here because um, uh, the widow. 21. I thought it was 12 or 21. Thank you for that, guys. So Luke chapter 21. Now let me give you some context here. Jesus has gone to the temple. Jesus has been to the temple before, but now he's with his posse. He's got his disciples, the entourage is there, and they're very excited to show Jesus the temple. Um, they're telling him to marvel at this great spectacle. Now, now the temple that Herod built was the rebuilt temple that was destroyed when, when uh, Babylon came in and uh, overtook and took into exile the Jewish people in the Old Testament. They destroyed the temple. It was rebuilt by Herod, covered in gold. I mean, it was just this magnificent, huge place. It had various courts, walls all around it it would uh it would get smaller and smaller as you went in and those smaller uh those next walls would limit who could access the next part so the outer courts were places for like the gentiles who were considered unclean they could go to that outer court but they couldn't go any further and then a little bit further the women could go but they couldn't go any further than that and then the next part the priests could go Nobody else could go in. And then the last place the holy of holies the 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 high priest once a year would enter through this this elaborate, thick, extravagant curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And in there was the Ark of the Covenant and they would go in and make sacrifice one day out of the year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, uh, to make uh, atonement for the sins of Israel. And in this place, Jesus is walking around and the, the, the disciples are just excited. They wanna show him what's going on. If you've ever gone to an open house with your child, you go to the school and the school wants to show you, you know, this is my teacher and this is my desk. Look at my desk, look how great my desk is and, and this is where I play, that's the tetherball pole and this is where I eat lunch. They're just so excited to show Jesus. Almost immediately, Jesus is challenged by the Pharisees, the Sadducees and the scribes. Um, the, uh, the three stooges of the New Testament. Um, 
They all want to catch Jesus. They're tired of him. He's been preaching. He's not that far from the crucifixion at this point. They want to catch him. They want, to, they want him to say something that will damn him, that will, that will make him guilty of breaking the law. And so they begin to challenge him. And, and you could read that for yourself. Read the challenges of uh, the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then Jesus goes on the offensive. He starts on the defensive. They ask him questions. You know, how is, you know, all these questions, good questions. I love that Jesus doesn't shy away from him and say like, who are you to question the son of God? He's like, no, we can do this. We can talk about this. We can talk about these things. But then he goes on the offensive and in, in chapter 20, 21, verse one, says Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. Now again, context. Temple, everybody just throwing cash around. It's like a Lil Wayne video just throwing money, making it rain all over the place. And what they're doing is they're showing off. Look, I gave this stack of money. No, 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 I gave all this, but look how much I'm giving. And they're, they're tooting their horns and they're just, they're, whoa. And, and, and the translation is, you give so much, you must love God so much. You must be so spiritual and so godly for being so moved to give so much. And in the midst of all this hoopla, this, 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 this big party that's happening, money flying all over the place, this tiny old widow, which means she has no husband, most likely has no children to care for her, she comes walking in and she's just kind of doing one of these and she goes to the offering box and drops in two coins. Nobody notices her except for Jesus. Totally different sermon. Jesus notices you. No matter what your sacrifice is, don't, don't ever think that what you do is insignificant. What you do is vitally important, whether it's, whether it's a small or a large sacrifice, you matter in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not just all about you, but you get to do something in the kingdom of God and God values you, so don't ever forget that. But it says that Jesus looked up and, and after he saw this widow give these two coins, he says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. Now mathematically, this is impossible because they're putting in what we would consider thousands, maybe even millions of dollars because everybody's there, everybody's putting in and they're trying to top one another. And this woman comes in and gives these two coins. They, they're, they're about a, a, a quarter of what we would have as a penny. So nothing, basically. It was like one sixty-fourth of what a, a, a day's wage was back in that time. Nothing. You can't. I mean, if we were to go to the store with a quarter of a penny, what are we going to do? Beg. That's all we got. But this woman comes in who probably has nothing, but yet has this, and she gives. And Jesus says, for the, he says, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Jesus points out, see all these rich people throwing money around? That's their extra money. They've paid the house payment, the car payment. They paid all the bills. They, they've, they've paid uh, you know, this thing and, and their employees. And, and now they've got so much left over because they have first paid off everything else. They first have, have already done all of these things. There's no sacrifice whatsoever in what they're doing. He says, but this woman, she came in with her two coins, all she had to live on, and she gave it all. You know what I love about this story? She had two coins. Could she have given one and kept one 
and still been giving a lot for her? Yeah. I mean, if she gave half of everything she had, that's still a lot percentage-wise. But she didn't. She went and she gave both. I imagine this woman probably thought this is all I have. She probably felt bad watching all these people give out of their abundance and probably think, I wish I could just give more. I, I wish that I could give as they're giving today. But this is all I got. She was probably embarrassed to even put it in the bucket. Like, oh man, like, I hope nobody sees me. I hope nobody witnesses what I'm giving. Maybe, maybe doing one of those things. I don't know if you've ever done this. I certainly have, and maybe you guys haven't because you're better than me, but um, you do the thing where it's in your hand and you kind of just put it in the plate so nobody can see what you're putting in there and you're like, like turn away real quick, kind of try to hide it in there so nobody sees what you're giving. That's not a bad thing, but maybe she did that so that nobody could see that she was just dropping some coins in there. Maybe they'd think that she too was giving a lot. I don't know. That's, that's just fun speculation in my mind. My point is this, she gave everything and Jesus was impressed. The bottom line when it comes to money today, it's not about a percentage that you could give. It's not about a number or how much you can give. It's about where your heart and trust lie. This woman trusted in the Lord, maybe not in Jesus, maybe she didn't know Jesus yet, but she had a reverence for God and knew she could trust him that if she were to give everything she had, that she would still be okay. It's a level of trust that only comes through knowing that God is in control of all things. Money often becomes an idol. And the best way to find out if something is an idol in your life is to talk about it. What's your instant reaction? Is it, is it to defend? Do you get angry? Do you get scared? Do you worry that somebody's gonna say something that's gonna contradict what you believe or think? Now, if your idol is money and people start talking about how you should either give it or not have love for it and you get defensive, money might be an idol in your life. And not just money, maybe it's, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's, it's food, maybe it's sex, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. I don't know what you might have as a vice, but if your internal red flag or, 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 or alarm starts to go off because somebody's talking about something that's too close to your heart, that is a red flag, but to start seeking the Lord. Lord, why do I value that so much? What, where is this coming from? We as Christians are called to be self-aware people, meaning, meaning we don't just pretend like we don't know what's wrong. We question, why, why do I feel this way? Why do I react this way when somebody says this? Am I doing this out of fear? Am I doing this out of arrogance? Am I doing this out of pride? Or am I doing it because I love the Lord? Am I giving on Sunday morning to be seen by men? Am I giving on Sunday morning because I'm afraid God's gonna hurt me if I don't? Am I gonna give on Sunday morning because it's just the thing we do and I've never been told otherwise? Or am I gonna give on Sunday morning because I love the Lord and I love his church and I believe in what the church is doing and so I want to put my hands to the proverbial plow by giving. We get so caught up, and I did the same thing as I was preparing this, getting caught up in like the, uh, the technicalities of giving. But the call and the command is just to give. Just, just to sacrifice, just to put yourself out there because what the Lord has done for you already, he's given you everything. Let me go through a couple of misconceptions about giving. Because there are a couple of verses and a couple of ideas that uh, are used as a stick and treat you like a pinata. And if, if pastors or teachers can use that stick enough, they get the candy out of you or, or the money in this sense. Number one is my, uh, Malachi 3.10. It 
It says, uh, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if, it will not, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be the land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Now, this is usually used to try to get you to give your tithe, your 10%. What those teachers often forget is that when Malachi, when the Holy Spirit's speaking through him to the people, A, he's talking to the Israelites. Now, we don't get out of this. I don't wanna, I don't wanna pretend like, oh, it's the Old Testament. We don't have to listen to that. Like, that's when God was figuring things out, but then now he's got the New Testament, and Jesus kind of straightened everything out. He came in as a PR guy and just said, hey, this is what, this is what dad really meant. No that the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. The tithe of the Old Testament was actually more than 10%. It was 27%. Think about your paycheck. Let's pretend for a moment you make $100 a week. We're doing this for simple math purposes. I went to public school. Let's not get too complicated about this. $100, that means right off the top, $27 is going to go to the temple, leaving you with? 60, no, 73. See, I was going to say 63. 73. Thank you, Santa Maria Public Schools, for doing the best you could on the limited budget you had. $73. Now, where, where did they come up with that? Well, there was actually three different tithes. The first tithe was your 10%. It was actually called the first tithe. 10%, leaving you with $90. Then the second one was also another 10%, but now you've only got $90, so you give nine. And the third one, which was the poor tax, which is, was the, the giving for the poor, uh, that would be another 10%, but you have $80 left, so that's $8. 10 plus 9 plus 8, 27, okay? So, number one, when people preach this as the standard for giving, they kind of omit that part, which is probably for our benefit. <laughs> because for those who are just seeking money, um, we don't need to give them more license to go do so. But that being said, they always quote Malachi 3.10, You've got to understand that in the Old Testament, God is dealing specifically with a specific group of people and has an expectation for these people to perform. Ultimately, they will produce the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Jesus will come and be the fulfillment of all the law, he will say, and, and thus uh, freeing us from the law. And, and now we look back to the law as, as a standard or a principle, but we are no longer bound to the law. Jesus died to, 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 uh, so that we might be born again. In the book of Romans, I believe it's chapter seven, Paul uses the analogy of a, uh, of a widow. Says, you know, when a woman is bound to a husband, she can't go marry somebody else. But if her husband dies, she's free to marry someone else. And so we were once married to sin and the law, but now we've been set free by Jesus so that we might be united with him. So now we, he uses the, the imagery of adultery to say, look, we're gonna choose one or the other. We can't be with both. That's adultery, even spiritually speaking. So Malachi, God is using him to deliver a message to the Israelites who weren't living up to or fulfilling the covenant God made with them to bring this, the, the tithe to the temple. We don't have a temple. The church is not like a functional, like a, a, a copy of the temple. The church is completely different in one sense other than it being a place of reverence and worship of God. We function, I mean, we're not sacrificing a lamb this morning. We're not, we're not burning things on the altar, not, not physical things. And like I said, we've been freed from this, <clears throat> this uh, com not this command, but this law. For the Israelites, they had been robbing God, he said, 
You stopped bringing into the storehouse. If you go to the beginning of this chapter, God says, look, you guys are alive because I'm generous. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need their money. It's not about that. But functionally, the, the priests and the Levites, they lived and functioned and worked in the temple. And so that was being funded by the giving of the people. These, these, these works that they would do day in and day out, they didn't have land like the rest of the Israelites were given. They were given God himself. And so people would give so the temp temple would keep working. And so we, we, we read this and we get scared. I'm here to tell you, you don't have to be fearful of the Lord when it comes to giving. That's the first one that gets misused, okay? God, God, has, God himself has devoured the devourer through Jesus Christ and the cross. If you do not give money on a Sunday morning, it's not like God can't protect you anymore. It's not as though he's keeping tabs and, and if you start to, you start to forget or, or you can't give anymore, then he kind of just lets the bad things happen. You are not in sin, or, or I should say, let me retract that. Um, you are not in danger, like, a, like an ax is hanging over your head if you stop giving. I know most of you who, who can't give or can't give as much as you want, you're not doing so for malicious reasons. You're doing so because of life and circumstances. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And you've talked to me about it, and I understand. And sometimes it's because this high bar has been set by man, and you're failing to meet that bar, and so now you feel guilt and condemnation. And that's kind of counter gospel. That's, that's, that's counter what Jesus called us to. The second verse uh, that gets uh, misused a lot is Galatians 6 and 7. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Has anybody ever told you to just plant a seed in my ministry? Just plant a seed in my church. Plant a seed and watch the Lord do all this because God's not mocked. And if you'll just plant a seed, well, God will just do all these great, amazing things for you. And sometimes they give you like a funky number, $52, $47. If you just plant, read a book once, and I won't say the author's name, horrible man though. Horrible man. Sin What's that? <laughs> Horrible man. F send me $52. Plant a seed and watch God give you. And he had all these testimonies. I sent my $52, and they weren't all Southern. $52, and I got a zebra or something like that. It was just the weirdest testimonies. And I was reading this book, and somebody recommended it to me. I'm like, I, What? I don't want a zebra. Like, I don't want a jet. I don't need a yacht. I'm in a landlocked area. This was in California. I'm in a landlocked area. I don't need a boat. I don't want any of these things. I have a house and a car and a kid. I'm good. I got food to eat. I'm warm. I got clothes that cover up most of my body. I'm all right. I, 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 what I need more of is Jesus. I'm, I'm, I get short with people and impatient. I, I eat too much food and and I, I, I'm not uh, as God-fearing as I should be. I need more Jesus. I don't need more money. I don't, I don't need more stuff. I've already got stuff for my stuff. You guys got that? Yeah. I have this obsession. It really is something I could bring to the altar of the Lord. I, I just love headphones. I've talked about it. I just, I'm always looking for a new pair. I get the perfect pair, and I'm like, well, what's over there? What's that? Oh, it's wireless? Oh, my gosh. It's Bluetooth. They got these new ear pod things coming out. Man, I can't wait to get a pair of those to add to my collection. <laughs> St 
stuff for my stuff. Why do you get the headphones? Because you have the, the MP3 player, the iPod, the iPhone to listen to it through. We have so much stuff. We have stuff for our stuff. I don't need more stuff. I need more Jesus. You don't need more stuff. You need more Jesus. You might need a healing. You might need finances to pay your bills. Maybe it's not about stuff. Maybe it is about paying your mortgage or, or, or saving for the future or uh, blessing other people. But I'm here to tell you, the Lord has already given us so much. What we need more of is Jesus. But this verse is used to somehow coerce God into giving us more. I planted a seed, then you have to make it bear fruit. I did this, you gotta do that. If that's your theology, get yourself a new theology. We are not in the business of telling God what to do. We're in the business of hearing from the Lord and doing what he says. And we hear primarily through his word. And you know, honestly, if God tells you to give somewhere or something, he's absolutely going to reward you, but not because you've, you've used the system. He's going to give to you because he loves you. He did not give you Jesus because you, 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 he owed him to you, that you had done something that, and now I have to give my son on your behalf. What, how we, what we earned, the Bible says, is death. We didn't earn the life of Christ. We didn't earn forgiveness and atonement through his blood and sacrifice. We didn't earn him going to the cross on our behalf for the things that we've done and it's been done to us. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's what we've done. That's what we've earned. But God in his grace and his mercy, he has washed us of that. The Christian life is this life of tension. You, ever, you know, I play guitar. Maybe you don't play guitar. Maybe you just work with something that kind of works along these lines. Tension, pulling between two points. You have that cord in the middle or that string in the middle and the tighter you pull it, the, the, the more pressure that's on it. I want you to, to, to look at Christianity within that, that tension, meaning at one, at one moment, we acknowledge that we are sinful and that Jesus, I was, I was praying this morning, like why, why would you even allow me to do what I do? And on the other hand, I have to realize, God, I know you love me. I know you've forgiven me. I know it's not about how well I can perform. It's about what you're gonna do through me. It's not about what I can do. It's about everything you've done. And somehow in that holy tension of, of no, acknowledging our sinfulness, but, but reminded of, of Jesus's goodness, we exist in there. And so if you walk away from this feeling bad about your sin, re just repent of it. Repent and find the forgiveness of the Lord in it and be liberated from that guilt and condemnation. If you do not think that you need to be freed, go back to the word and find where the word tells us and reminds us of how we were separated from God before Jesus that we were dead in our sins and trespasses and live within that, that holy tension of I'm a sinner, but God is good. I have done bad, but because of God's goodness, I can now be redeemed from that. And I can be changed so that in the future, my life's not about how bad I am. It's about how much God is doing through me. Let me give you the context of Galatians 6 and 7. And this will... Whenever you have like a one line verse somebody's trying to beat you with or convince you with, go back to the context of it. What was the writer or the, the person who, who was speaking? What were they saying entirely? What is Paul saying through the Holy Spirit in all of chapter six, or at least just the five verses that surround this one? Let's start in verse six. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. 
And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are the household of faith. In context, what Paul is saying, and I, I have to right off the bat say this is a, uh, it's gonna sound self-serving and I don't mean it to be. Um, as a person who's a teacher and a preacher at the church, I try to take the same position of Paul who said, I have all these rights, but I empty them. I have a job to do. Uh, God will feed me, God will clothe me, all that. But in this verse, what Paul is saying is, look, in the church, you have men and women and people who are going to feed you spiritually. They're going to teach you the word of God. They're going to preach to you the, the message from the Lord. They're going to care for you in that way. They're going to teach your kids about Jesus. They're going to have women's groups on Wednesdays, and they're going to have home studies, and they're going to, they're going to do all of these things because they love me or they love the Lord. And one of the best things you can do is give to them to sustain them and in doing so, what you are doing is you are sowing into your spirit or you're sowing into the spirit. You are, you are feasting at the table of the Lord, to use another metaphor. You are coming, you are feeding your soul. By giving to those who are feeding you spiritually, you're actually benefiting yourself. Why? Because they can continue doing what they do. Nobody here at the chapel is getting rich. We don't have any systems in place so that somebody ends up wealthy at the end of the day. If anybody here has any wealth, they've most likely accumulated it outside with another vocation. Wealth is not the issue though. The issue here is being manipulated by a verse to get you to give to me or the person preaching so that they can pad their pockets. They're really easy to spot. It's not that hard. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. And I thought to myself, that, that, when I thought about preaching this, I thought, that sounds kind of harsh. Man, I shouldn't say that. Go back to Luke chapter 21 and read what Jesus says about the Pharisees and the scribes. Read, read how he describes them. And for the most part, I kind of let Jesus just do that. But there are times when it's time to preach and call out the wolves. So let them know that, you know, we see them. We see their fangs. Sheep don't have fangs. Sheep don't have blood dripping from their mouth. Sheep aren't always feasting on other sheep. And sheep hear the voice of their shepherd. Don't let anybody use these verses to twist you into giving. If you are giving out of guilt, condemnation, fear, you're giving for the wrong reasons. Now, the person who benefits from your giving is still going to benefit. But for you, you are missing out on what Jesus calls this abundant life that he's called us to. When he talks about life and life more abundant, for some reason, people always hear money and lots more money, stuff and lots more stuff, health and lots more health. No, when you are a Christian, you experience life differently. You abundantly rejoice with those who rejoice. When Ben and Jen told us about the baby, we rejoiced with them. It's not my baby. But man, it's a new life. God is doing something. That's, that's awesome. We rejoice with them. It's more than just, it's more than just, oh, hey, I'm happy for you. It's like, man, our family's getting bigger. This is great. When, when Ben shared that there were some complications, it was like, oh, man, now I'm not right in there in the thick of it, but it hurts me more than if it was just some person. This is my brother. This is uh, part of our church. It's more than just somebody I know about. I mean, this is, this is my family as much as my family is. 
and they're hurting and I hurt for them as well. And some of you have felt that and maybe even been in awe of that. Like, why do I feel so bad or why do I feel so good for what's just happened to those people? I have no vested interest other than Jesus in you. And that abundant life means that, man, we feel the greatest joys and when it's time to mourn, we hurt like nobody else. Whether we're in it or we're around it, we hurt for people and we love people in a way that, that the rest of the world simply cannot. Giving is a matter of the heart. It's not about money, it's about you. Giving transcends Old Testament, New Testament. Abraham, Old Testament, book of Genesis, he gave to a guy named Melchizedek. Before the, the Old Testament law was given to give, go back all the way to Cain and Abel, they both gave sacrifice of, their, of their, what they earned. Cain brought the vegetables, Abel brought the sacrifice of an animal. We see how that plays out. But this was before God ever said, you know, give a tenth here and a tenth there and a tenth there. Giving transcends the Old Testament law that was given, the Torah that was given to the people. We are called to give always. Now that brings up a few questions. Why should we give? If it's just a system, it will feel like just a system. I give God the money that I owe him or the money that I'm supposed to give. I go on Sunday morning, I fulfill my duty, I go home. That's what your spiritual life will always feel like or your life in general. You'll watch other Christians walk around full of the joy of the Lord and you'll wonder why am I not getting that? We give because God first gave to us. John 3, 16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 8 and 32 says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Understand this, whatever you're asking the Lord for, even if your motives are pure, and for myself, I always doubt my motives. I might say, Lord, I need this for this reason, but I know myself. I, I know that there are ulterior motives, even in my own heart, because the Lord's got to work some stuff out. And I'll tell him that too. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to pull one over. I'm trying to tell you I want it for all these reasons, but it's all self-gratifying, just my own interest, Lord. So I don't even know what to pray. I just get all mad and walk away. <laughs> I don't even know what I want anymore. Just do whatever you want. I don't care. but we give because understand this whatever you're asking for God's already given you everything in Jesus everything else after that is is far second health or money or relationships or whatever it is he may or may not give you those things I hope that today you haven't you're not going to walk away with a way to manipulate God to give you what you want it's the absolute opposite he will give you what he wants when you need it in his timing it will frustrate you to no end but he will do so and he will be good and he will love you and you will say, oh yeah, maybe dad knows what he's talking about. You ever have to say that? Maybe dad knew what he was talking about. Who should give? Is anybody exempt from giving? No. Nobody is exempt from giving. Now here's what I want to have. I told you I'd come back to this in a moment. Everyone should give. Men, women, black, white, old, young, as we saw in the example of the, the widow, she was older, she had very little, she still gave. Now, there can be times where it's very tough to give. 
And at the chapel, we're not, we're not people who will say, hey, you know, you, why aren't you giving? I don't keep track personally of what you give. We keep track of what you give for, for tax purposes at the end of the year. We'll give you a receipt that says you gave this much for no services. It was, a, it was a charitable contribution. You can use that for your taxes at the end of the year. The government allows you to do so. So go right ahead. But we don't do that so that you get a phone call one day saying, hey, you know, this is Pastor Tony. I want to know why you're not giving anymore. We don't do that. Um, if God can't convince you to give, what good am I going to be? I, I'm not a car salesman. I'm not going to guilt you. Well, you know, we got all this stuff going on and we really could use contribution, so into the ministry, blah, blah, blah. No. Does that mean we always have good times here at the chapel? No, there are tight times. Just like you guys, the, your, your house expenses go up in the winter, the house expenses here go up in the winter. Insurance comes due, and guess what? The premiums went up. And, oh, the, all this went up. Just, just the same thing you guys go through, we go through as well. But we trust the Lord. There's been a church here in this spot for 150 years. Actually, 160-something years. It's like 1850s. It hasn't always been South Bay Chapel, but it has been for like the last five or six decades at least. And I believe that if the Lord wants this to continue to be a church, he'll keep sending people who will give to this church so that we can pay the bills and so that I can earn a salary and that it'll all work out in the end because there's something happening here that he wants to happen. And when he doesn't want it to happen here anymore, that'll probably dry up. And we'll be okay with that because, hey, what are you going to do? Tell, convince the Lord to do something else? No, we listen to him. We don't tell him what to do. But if you have a time where it's hard or it's tight, you lose a job, death in the family, sickness and you're out of work and you, can't, you have no sick pay, then by all means, take care of yourself. Pay your bills as much as you can. Spend your money on groceries. Feed yourself. But I will tell you this. I will give you this little caveat to that. If you can give in those times, you'll never stop giving. If you can develop a culture within your family to give no matter what, even if it's just coins or a dollar, you will never stop giving. There will be no challenge that, that you cannot overcome. And honestly, I feel like when I give in those times, it's like I'm laughing at Satan. Like you want to stop me, but you just, you can't stop me. And they might get the guilt of the tithe and the condemnation, but no, I'm going to give even when it hurts. I may not be able to give a lot. I might be like the widow with the two coins. It may not be much to do anything with, but my heart is where the Lord is and I want to give because he first gave to me. If you need to take time, take time. But develop a culture in your house that no matter what, you're a giving family. Who should you give to? I get that question a lot. Well, can I give here or there? First, I would say first, the first thing, your first obligation, if you will, is the church body that you belong to. It's just like uh, when you're at home, you take care of the bills of your home first. You don't go pay whatever's bills first, your neighbor's bills. You, you take care of your home. You take care of the lights and things like that because that's your home. If this is your home church, then please, if you would, Give to your home church. We are here to serve you. We're going to serve you no matter what. You could stop giving for the rest of your life. We're going to keep serving you. We're going to keep loving you. You're not going to be Joe Schmo who doesn't give. <laughs> You're just going to be Joe Schmo and we love him. And if he gives, he gives. If he doesn't, he doesn't. But you can give to the local church. Mike already hit on this a little bit during his midweek service um, message. 
But in Acts 2 and 42, it says, they, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Just as a side note, maybe if we're not seeing signs and wonders and the church grow, maybe it's because we're wanting what is in Acts chapter 2 without doing what is in Acts chapter 2. And so if we're not gathering and if we're not uh, taking care of one another and if we're not uh, devoting ourselves to the teaching, then why would we expect the same outcome that they got? Doesn't make any sense. Um, throughout the book of Acts, you have men and women who, oh, there's a need in the church. Let me go sell this, this land. Let me go sell this thing. The need of their neighbor and their friend and their brother and sister in Christ was greater than any possession they could have. And that scares us. That scares me. I don't know if it scares you. It scares me to think about going and selling something that's worth any money to help somebody. But this is the life we've been called to and, and fear might be there, but we have to allow the Lord to kind of squash that fear. So give to the church. We can also give to the needy. These could be people outside of the church. These could be people who go to other churches. These could be people who, who hate Jesus. There are people out there. Guess what? They still have needs and we're still called to serve them. We can give to the needy. We can give to our neighbor, our enemy. We can give to a nonprofit organization. That's the question I usually get. Well, can I give to this nonprofit organization? Are they doing good? Are they, are they actually helping or are they just kind of getting rich off of 501c3, which is tax exemption? Is 90% of their, 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 their contributions being used for administration and 10% is actually going out and helping or is it reverse? Just be wise about who you give to. If somebody says they're giving in the name of Jesus, don't take that uh, lock, stock, and barrel. Do some research. Find out. Because one of the easiest ways to pry open a, uh, pry open a wallet is with the cross. And people know that. And so don't be gullible. Don't just trust because people can't come in the name of the Lord. Ask questions. Maybe somebody doesn't need your money. Maybe they need you. Maybe there's no, no amount of money you can give to them right now that can help anything. Maybe they just need you to be there. This leads me to the next question. What should we give? We call them the three T's, the time, talent, and treasure. Sometimes people need your time. I value time way more than money. I can't get time back. I can get money back. I can't get time back. I, I, I watch my kids growing and I'm like, man, they're nine and six. They're gonna be 10 and seven this year. I'm not getting those years back. They're gonna grow and before I know it, they're gonna be teens then they're gonna be in college or trade school or whatever and then they're gonna be their own people. I mean, they are, but they're gonna be even more so. And they're not gonna ask me to, to snuggle with them at night. They're not gonna ask me to get them a snack and they're not gonna wanna watch a movie with me uh, snuggled up on the couch. They're gonna start their own families. They're gonna have their own kids to do that with. I value time way more. I, you know, think about this. Every day that passes the, for you husbands, one less day you have with your wife. I hope that's not something good that you're hearing right now. I hope you're looking at that and going, man, that's one less day I have. How many days do I have left with this woman? I look at my wife and go, man, you know, I, I wish we'd met like 10 years sooner. Like when I was an awkward 12-year-old, we could have just met and with my weird haircut. and like I have pictures of me at 12. I don't know what I was thinking. 
My mom was so cool. She let me do almost anything like that. But sometimes we need time. Sometimes people need to go have a cup of coffee, just talk about stuff. And it's not about us fixing them or, or, or giving them the best advice. It's just, it's just hearing them out. Maybe, maybe it's your talent. Talent's another thing that I, I value more than money too. I can't buy ability in somebody to play guitar or sing. I mean, I suppose you could in one sense, but that's not what we're doing here. This is not a show or, or you know, you heard the guitar cutting in and out today. It's not about being professional. It's about revering the Lord and loving him. Sharing your talents is absolutely essential for the body of Christ to grow. I don't know what my talents are. I, can you cook? Can you clean? Can you... Can you write? Can you run Facebook? I mean, can you do, can you do techie stuff? Can you run sound? You know, uh, poor Dan back there, you know, he comes in after his night of working and yeah, I'm sure he'd love somebody back there to help him out sometime. Let him tell you what knobs to move and what dials to slide because I don't know what he's doing back there. I just praise God that when I'm speaking, you guys can hear me and it's audible because he's using his talents. You know, the Muir's, they could always use help with the kids. They do a tremendous job using their talents to teach our kids about Jesus. But it would be foolish of us to sit there and just expect them to do that week in and week out for the rest of their lives. They need help as much as anybody else. You might not be able to run it, but you can be a part of it. You might find out you have no grace for kids, and that's okay. And then we'll move you somewhere else. We'll say, you know what, that wasn't necessarily your gifting or your talent. Let's move over here where there's less kids. And you'll say, you know what, Pastor Tony, thank you for that because I'm going to strangle somebody. <laughs> and we don't need a lawsuit. Treasure goes back to money. Money's simple. I don't want to overcomplicate that. We give because Jesus gave. We love because Jesus loved. We serve because Jesus served. We do because Jesus do. Let me put that on a shirt. We do because Jesus do. How should we give? Or excuse me, let me go back. How much should we give? Here's my rule of thumb. Just a little past it hurting. When it's easy, it's still appreciated. But are you growing? Are you being tested? I don't think so. Like I said with the widow, she could have gave one coin, but she gave two. These other people, the one that Jesus wasn't impressed with, they were giving out of their abundance. It wasn't hurting them. It wasn't sacrifice. Sacrifice, and I don't know if you guys know this, but sacrifice hurts. When you sacrifice, that means you're giving more, whether it's time, talent, treasure, than you are comfortable with giving. I'll give this much. I'll hang out with you for an hour. I'll go on this day, but I'm not staying all night. You're probably going to stay all night. You're probably going to give more than you, you want to. And the purpose of that is simply to be used by God to trust him more and more each day. I had a, a pastor once. Uh, he's gone to be with the Lord. Praise God for that. Uh, but I remember we were in this time where we just could not get out of debt. It was the, it was the no, matter, no matter how many hours we worked or how many jobs we had, I said, you know, we just got this bill, Pastor. It's like, it was like $300. I don't know what we're going to do. He said, it's okay, Tony. One day, there'll be more zeros after that for that bill. And I was like, that's an encouragement? Like, and he began to explain to me that as you grow and as you establish your life, things just get exponentially more expensive. But the Lord is good to provide for you no matter what your circumstances are. If there's another zero, then he adds another zero. If you need more health, he gives you more health. I mean, that's just what he does. And so from that time, about 15 years ago that he shared that with me, I've never forgot that. How much should we give? Make it hurt a little. How should we give? 
2 Corinthians 9 7 says, each one must give, we can just stop right there and make that the sermon, as he has decided in his heart, blowing out the tithe theory, not reluctantly or under compulsion, no guilt, no condemnation, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let me give you a good example. When your kids do a chore, isn't it the best? When they do so happily, which might be rare, but when they do so, isn't it even better? Don't you just love it that much more? When they're like, okay, I'm gonna take the thing and put it in the hand, but my arms won't work, I'm thirsty. When they're doing that, you're like, oh gosh, I'll just clean it myself. Rather than hear all that. The Bible says the Lord loves a cheerful giver. I mean, the love Lord, uh, the Lord loves you already, sorry. The Lord loves you already, but even more so when you're giving and you do so cheerfully. I don't think we're in competition with one another. I really don't. It's not about who can give more and who can impress God more. That's what the, that's what the temple people were doing. But it's about, God, I, I think in my heart, I think I'm gonna give $5 this Sunday. I mean, I've only got 10 or I've only got six, but I'm gonna give this $5. Um, and I gladly give it to you. I mean, you take it, you do what you want with it. I want you to know this is, this is yours and I'm gonna trust you for the rest of the week. I'm gonna trust you can do more with that $1 than, than I could do with the six. Lord loves a cheerful giver. That's why I don't come and try to guilt you on Sunday mornings to give. I'm not coming in with some sob story about how we need this or we need that. Last year we replaced the roof. Anybody ever replaced a roof? Not cheap, right? Did we ask any of you guys for money for it? No, Lord provided. We, we had people who were already giving. There were some who gave generous donations unbeknownst to you and unbeknownst to even me. But why didn't come in with a big sob? Oh, we got, now had we had no funds, I might have to explain to you, look, we need a new roof and winter's coming and if we don't fix it now, we're gonna be preaching underwater. And you guys would have stepped up and you guys would have helped and things like that. But my point is this, I, I, I don't feel the need to manipulate you. As a matter of fact, I feel convicted to not manipulate you to give, to pull on your heartstrings and that sort of thing. Give because the Lord has told you to give. Give because he loves you. Give because you want to be a cheerful giver and because you know that the Lord loves you. But, but don't give because you've been coerced into, be, into giving. That benefits nobody. It doesn't benefit you. It doesn't benefit me. It doesn't benefit the church. It, well, it might benefit temporarily, but not eternally. Now, we need to watch out for a trap here. Because the trap is, I'll just give money and then everybody else can do the things. Sometimes we give to the nonprofit or to the church so that they can do all the stuff so I don't have to do anything. To get political for a moment, I think it's absolutely the church's uh, charge to take care of refugees. I do. But what we want to do is give our government money to do it for us. Jesus did not say, give to your government so they, they can do the job that you're called to do. And so for, for we as Christians, it's the same thing when it comes to the pro-life, pro-choice argument. If we are truly pro-life, then I want to see the church adopting children, people within the church. Putting our, our money where our mouth is. Oh, well, I gave to this organization. That's good, and they'll probably do a better job than you, but there are so many children that have no parents or homes right now. In our community, not over there, not across, you know, not in Russia or China, here. 
Before Ethan was diagnosed, uh, Sarah and I were going down the road of fostering. We went to the county building. We had a meeting. And it was like the floodgates opened. They were like, there's uh, kids. All, there was no shortage of need. And literally like one month later, Ethan was diagnosed and we thought, okay, this is probably not the time. But Madison County um, decided, no, we're going to still send you something every month so that one day you finally bite on the hook and we get you to start fostering some kids. And we haven't done it yet, but it's in our plans to do so. So I, I, I want to stand here. I'll be very blunt in the hypocrisy of it. I admit to my hypocrisy, but that does not mean the truth is any different. We believe that Every life that is conceived has a right to live. It's Sanctity of Human Life Month. You're seeing it all over the internet. It's getting very tiresome, but here's what we believe about that. Every life has the right to be conceived and every life should be taken care of and nurtured. And every set of parents that has a child who doesn't know what they're gonna do, it's the church's job to come in and help them raise that child. Not to tell them what to do, not to make them do it the way we did, but just like, just like supporting up a beam or something. You're just, you're just going in there to support. They're going to do the heavy lifting. They're going to have the tireless nights of crying and baby sick. But man, you're going to bring them casseroles and you're going to pray for them and you're going to buy them something nice when they can't afford anything. I mean, that's, that's what we're going to do as the church. We're going to pray like crazy. We can't just simply fall for the trap. Well, I gave some money to that organization. They're going to do all the work that I'm supposed to do. No, you're called to do that. I'm called to do that. You and I are called to care for the poor and the broken and the downtrodden and the refugee and the, and the threatened and, the, and, and stand up for what is right and stand up for, for uh, when there is no justice. That's our job. And we can't point to an organization. We are the organization. You and I, we make up the church. That's our job. So I'm sure there's plenty of refugees within our own community that we could be helping. You know, we may not know them right off the top of our head. We might not see them. But what if we just changed our focus to start looking for those opportunities? Lord, who, who, can I, who can I help? Some of you may have gone this Christmas struggling, but I had never heard about it. And sometimes I have people come to me and say, Pastor Tony, this is, this is where we're at. We have no... We lost our job. They cut the hours. There's no overtime. I'm working my, my tail off and I just can't make ends meet. And we do what we can for that particular family or group or people. We can't take over your life. We can't do everything, but we can do something. And the fear is that if anybody knows about that, everybody's gonna come out of the woodworks. We have people who come to the church before church starts. You guys, many, many of you don't know that, but I've had people show up at the church. Can you just give me money? For what? Well, I just need gas money to get to the next church. For what? to ask for more money. Well, what do you need money for? I need to do laundry. Okay, let's go do some laundry. No, I'd rather just have the money. No. See, the trap is just give you money and go on your way. But maybe you ask the people, what do you need money for? I need money for, let's go get a meal. Let's go get a bite. Let me go wash your clothes. You got a bill that needs to be paid? Let me go pay it for you. I got, I got some money. I can pay your cell phone bill. I can pay your, 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 your gas bill or your light bill or your this bill or that bill. I can put gas in your car, but I'm gonna go with you and do it. We're gonna talk about it. I'm gonna tell you about Jesus. <laughs> you're not going to get away from the gospel if I'm going to actually do this stuff for you. It, it's the small price you're going to have to pay. Well, I know about Jesus. Well, you're going to know about him again. Don't fall for that trap. Get your hands dirty with serving the Lord. You know, find somebody to help for, uh, to help, to care for. 
If you can't find, for, find somebody, then pray for somebody. But I doubt if you look, you won't find anybody. You'll find somebody. All of this, though, is pointless and for naught if you do not know Jesus Christ. If he has not received, or I should say, if you have not placed your faith in him today, what he has done on the cross, what, what he has done in his life, what he has done and accomplished uh, to pay for your sins that the Bible says we've earned, then all of this giving is just an exchange. It's just a system. It's, it's, there's no life in it. I mean, there, there are plenty of organizations that make appeals for money and receive the money and then go and do stuff. The church is different. If we don't look any different than the world, we have a really big problem. If you have not placed your faith in Christ today, if you have not heard the call of the Holy Spirit and answered it today, if you have not received the grace, extended, the extended hand of God coming out to you, if you have not reached up to that hand, then all of this is, is really pointless. But if you have given your life to Christ, this is what we believe the word of God tells us about giving. We give because God first gave. We give any amount that we can, as often as we can. We stretch ourselves to give, not simply to meet a quota or a number, but to help real people in life. To be used in the kingdom of God and to watch people receive the gift of Christ. And so that's what we believe the word of God tells us. We're gonna pray. Um, we are a little late on this. We're gonna, one of your first challenges for giving is for the CareNet baby bottles. We're a little behind on that. We should have had them out already. I apologize for that. Um, but we will have those out soon. What do you do with them? You fill them with your pocket change. You fill it up as fast as you can. My nine-year-old son can fill up two bottles on his own because he has a good, no, he's just, can get your change out of you, that's all. You got, you got, you got to learn trades early. You know, you got to learn how to, how to get some pocket change early. Um, it's not a hard challenge. It really isn't. Some, some of you folks, you just take a check and put it in there. I think that's good too. If you're like me, you love your change. I love pocket change. I got, I got a big jar in my office. I keep putting, it's like this big. It's like halfway full. But when we have the baby balls come, I stop putting it in there. I'm like, oh, but I'm like, babies. I love babies. I want the babies to be born. I want the families to, you know, I understand the plight of those who have had to have abortions. I get that. I'm not here to add more condemnation to their head. I just feel this needs to be said. But I really think that temporary distress is so minuscule compared to the joy that comes from having a child. I mean, they're just amazing. Even the bad ones, they're still pretty good. So, when we give, whether it's going to be CareNet or whatever else, whether it's ClearPath or, you know, whatever other organizations we want to team up with, I mean, we give because Jesus loves us. He's already given us so much. How could we ever outgive him? We can't, but we still are going to try. And if the whole church, there's this old rule that, that 80% of what the church receives comes from 20% of the church. I don't know the numbers if that's true here, but I imagine that if everybody gave here, the landscape of our community would look completely different because of the things we'd be doing here at the chapel. So I want to encourage you today to not just give, start seeking the Lord in your giving. Lord, where, who should I give to? What should I give to? You know, what? there's so many great causes out there to get behind. Stopping human trafficking, 
helping babies be born, helping families get established, cancer treatment and bringing aid, missionary work overseas and, and within our own borders. There's tons of good organizations to get, a, to, get a, to get behind and help, including the local church. So let me pray for you. And then, and then after that, we're gonna take some Q&A. Then we'll go home. Father God, we praise you. And the only conviction that I can think of, Lord, that convicts me to give more is that you gave so much. And I don't believe your word calls us to give as much as you do. Because we can't. We can't give Jesus. We can't give as much back to you that you have given to us. But we can give. I pray, Lord, that, that the strongholds and the barriers and the things that have uh, been set up in our lives to m complicate and manipulate giving would now be torn down by the love of Jesus. That we would establish in our heart what we think is good to give and then give that to give it and to release it, to not expect anything for it, Lord, but knowing full well that you are a God who rewards those who seek you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to the heart of your people. There, without Jesus, this is all really worthless. We're just like every other club, every other organization, if the Spirit of God is not here. So I pray for your people. If there are those here who have not given their life to you, Lord, I pray they would today that they'd answer that call. And if they have today, Lord, that you would continue to guide and shape and mold them as you have promised to, to finish what you have started in their lives. And may we see giving not as, not as burdensome, not as, not as just another thing we have to do, but, but giving would be an extension of our worship of you. We love you, Lord. May Jesus be glorified in all this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right.